Well, good morning. Well, good morning, and I invite you to go ahead and find a seat, and we're going to get rolling here. They have a word for people that uh, go to church in conditions like these. They're called Midwesterners. <laughs> Those coastal people don't get it, but you know, three inches of snow, come on. Well, after finishing a 14-month uh, series on the book of Romans, guess what I'm going to talk about this morning? <laughs> Romans. Romans 12.2. In Romans 12.2, we find a verse that I think is one of the most radical statements in all of Scripture. It says this. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that statement is not radical in that it calls us not to be conformed to this world. I think we all get that. We're supposed to live lives that are different. It's not radical in that we're called to live transformed lives by God. I think we get that also. A new life should probably lead to a new lifestyle. But what I find radical in that verse is the process that produces a transformed life. And the verse says that it's the renewing of your mind. Have you thought about that? God is saying we change our lives by changing our mind, by renewing our minds, by changing actually the way we think. If you've been going to church for a while, you've probably heard an awful lot of messages and talk about your heart and about your soul, but is there anyone who can ever remember a message on your mind? Well, you're going to get one today. Today I'm going to talk about your mind. We're going to talk about managing our minds. You know, it seems like when we pray to God, we talk to, a lot to God about changing our circumstances. We ask God to take away our problems, to take away our pain, to take away sickness, to take away sadness. But if Romans 12.2 is true, then God is far more concerned with changing our minds more so than changing our circumstances. So let's think about that this morning. Now, why is this so important? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons. Number one, this is important because my thoughts control my life. Every action begins with a thought. If you don't think it, you don't do it. Your mind really is the control center for your life. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Be careful then how you think, because your life is shaped by your thoughts. The thoughts that you let into your mind will shape your life. If you accept a thought, it shapes you. If growing up someone said to you, you're worthless, you're no good, you don't matter, you're ugly, you're uncoordinated, and you accepted that thought, whether it was right or wrong, it shaped your life. You see, your feelings can impact your life, but your thoughts, they actually shape your life. They are powerful and they are formative. Another reason we need to think about this is because your, our mind is the battleground for sin. Your mind is where you win or lose the battle with temptation. All temptation happens in your mind. We like to think of temptation as being out there, as being something external. But it wouldn't tempt you if there was not an internal corollary desire within you 
that that appealed to. Temptation happens between our ears, and so does sin. When we talk about sins like pride, lust, bitterness, resentment, anger, where do those sins occur? They take place in your mind. You see, if we can learn to manage our minds, then we have learned how to manage our life because your actions will always flow out of your thoughts and your mind is where the battleground is. Romans 7.22 says, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Just look for a minute at the vocabulary of that text. Waging war? Taking prisoner? Those are words of war because there really is a battle going on in your brain. And sometimes that battle can be intense because your mind is your greatest asset. It's your high ground. And God wants to renew your mind, and Satan wants to pollute your mind, and the world wants to corrupt your mind, and the old nature wants to destroy your mind. So the battle rages because whatever gets your mind gets you. A third reason this is important is because your mind is the key to life and peace. This battle will determine the quality of your life. Romans 8, 5, and 6 says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh is going to take you to a dramatically different place than the mind set on the Spirit. The fleshly mind is full of tension. The spiritual mind is full of tranquility. The fleshly mind is full of pressure. The spiritual mind is full of peace. The fleshly mind is filled with chaos. The spiritual mind is filled with confidence. The fleshly mind is full of conflict. The spiritual mind is full of harmony. And God actually wants us to love him with every thought that gains access to our minds. Have you thought of that? Mark 12, 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, heard that, with all of your soul, heard that, and with all of your mind. That one's in there too. We are called to love God with the thoughts that that roll through our head. And we are told that when the, the Spirit is in control of our mind and our thoughts, It produces a life and peace. So if renewing our mind is so important, how do we do it? How do you make that happen in your life? Well, it starts by making three choices each day that renew our minds. Remember that only you can control your thoughts. You might think your thoughts are uncontrollable, but they're not. Satan would love to control your thoughts, but he can't. He has not been given the power to do that. Only you can control your thoughts. And the Bible says you can choose a healthy mind by choosing to feed your mind, by choosing to free your mind, and by choosing to focus your mind. And those are not choices you will make once in your life. These are choices that we make every day of our lives. Let's look at those three choices. The first one, I must choose to feed my mind with truth. If I want my thoughts to be healthy, I need to feed my mind with truth, not with junk, not with poison, not with lies, 
but with truth. You won't have a healthy body if you feed it junk food, and you won't have a healthy mind if you feed it junk either. Jesus said you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the Bible, this book, is our authority. This book is the mental food you need to have a transformed mind. This is our spiritual food. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You need more than bread for your body. You need soul food for your mind. Well, when should you feed your mind truth? Well, when do you feed your body? Most of us do that morning, afternoon, and evening, don't we? David said in Psalm 119, 147, I rise before dawn and I cry for help. I wait for your words. David was saying the most controllable part of my day is my morning because I choose when I get up. And he says, I rise early so that I have some time to talk to God in prayer and to listen to God in his word. I wait for your words. That's, that was his spiritual breakfast. It's not just getting up and reading the Bible. It's having a conversation with God. It's talking to him in prayer and listening to him through his word. That's the best way to start every day. But take a look at what David also said in Psalm 16, 7. He says, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. David had a little spiritual dinner, too. In the evening, he was reflecting on truth, God's word. And as if that wasn't enough, look at verse 8 there. And I've set the Lord continually before me throughout the day because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. David had a little spiritual lunch too. Now you might think, well, hang on, how does that happen? Because, you know, my day gets started, I'm at work and things get rolling and, you know, I, how would I have time to sit down and, and spend a half hour, an hour in the Word? Well, you, you might not have that. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But, you know, you don't have to take a lot of time to be fueled. If you know much about us, uh, we like to go to Colorado and we like to climb up mountains. And so uh, when you do that, it's a long hike. And sometimes a lot of them are five or six hour hikes, you know, up to the peak. And so it's real common there. We don't really sit down during the day and have a big lunch. But it's real common as you're, you're walking along, you know, to have a protein bar and a little hydration. And so you're going to hike an hour or so and then just sit down for five minutes, take a couple bites, a little protein, get a little hydration, and uh, get back on the trail and keep going. doesn't take long, just a couple minutes to kind of refuel, refresh, and get going. And I've kind of discovered if I will do that, I can go longer and farther by just, it's not a huge thing, but just pausing to reflect. And most of us, even though we have busy days, we could actually be doing that spiritually too. In my time in the morning with the Lord, as I read through Scripture, it's not uncommon. God will, will like bring, I'll read a verse that will stand out, it will impress upon me, that's significant, I should think about that, I should meditate on that. And so what I do is I just get some little three-by-five cards and, and just, I write them down, carry them with me. And then throughout the day, you know, it, most of us have, you know, five minutes here, 10 minutes there, 15 minutes there that we have control over. We could let our minds just freewheel. Or if we were prepared, we could take that time and we could put a little spiritual nutrition in our minds. We also have these little things called phones. Did you know you can put entire Bibles on this thing? 
that you've had 15 minutes where you're waiting at the doctor's office, you could open it up. You could pull up Right Now Media and hear teaching on God's Word. If you think this is a little too old school, then just put it on the cards, take pictures of them, and you don't have them on your phone. But the point is, it has never been easier to do this in the history of man. There is no reason we shouldn't be doing this. We can refuel throughout the day. That's what David did. So find your ways, make them your ways, but find your ways to daily refuel your mind, to get into God's Word, to read it, to study it, to hear it, to meditate on it, to memorize it, to listen to it. Develop your daily patterns that keep your mind fueled with truth. A second choice we have to make is I need to choose to free my mind from destructive thoughts. Your mind needs to be freed, it needs to be delivered, it needs to be liberated because you can be the prisoner of your own thoughts. Have you ever felt like that? And you can be the prisoner of things other people told you that weren't true. Like I said, it doesn't really matter if it was true or not. If you believed it, it shaped your life. Maybe early on you were told, hey, you're clumsy, you're uncoordinated. And maybe you're not clumsy at all. But you received that message and you believed it. So every time an opportunity came along to do something physical, you acted in accordance with how you saw yourself. Boy, that'd be fun. I'd like to be a part of that. Ah, but you know, I'm clumsy. I'm uncoordinated. I shouldn't even try because I'd just be embarrassed and then I'd fail. In 1978, about 50 high school kids were trying out for the Emsley Laney High School varsity basketball team. There were 15 spots available on the roster. There was a sophomore who really wanted to make that team. He tried really hard. He gave it his best shot, but he did not make the cut. So he was in the group that was told, sorry, guys, you're just not really good enough. Maybe you should try one of the other sports. Maybe basketball is not your thing. Well, that 15-year-old chose to keep on trying. He decided he wasn't ready to call it quits yet. And as it turned out, he became a pretty decent basketball player. You might recognize his name. It's Michael Jordan. You know, good things can happen when we free our minds from destructive thoughts. So where do these destructive thoughts come from that we need to free our minds from? Well, well, like we mentioned, sometimes they come from people who say things. But there's other possible sources, too, you need to be aware of. One of them is your old nature. Romans 7.23 says, But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. Did, have you ever found yourself doing things you don't really want to do? Have you ever knowingly engaged in a self-defeating behavior? You know, something where you say, I know this isn't good for me, but, and then you did it anyway. Raise your hand. Have you ever done that? Anybody ever done that? Okay, now look around. Anyone who didn't raise their hand just violated the Eighth Commandment. <laughs> So bring that to their attention, would you? Just mention it in passing as you're talking to them. What is going on there? Why would I do something I know is bad for me? Well, you're battling in your brain with your old sin nature. That's what's going on. It's been dethroned, but it's still hanging around, and it's still trying to cause trouble. And you have all of the best of intentions, but the old nature is trying to ruin all of those intentions. Your old nature is not your friend. And you're going to have to do battle with that. A second source of destructive thoughts is Satan himself, the devil. He would like to control your mind, but he can't force you to do anything. 
He can, though, make suggestions. He can give ideas. He can introduce thoughts. And he's constantly trying to plant negative thoughts in your mind, and he often uses other people, TV, some, sometimes just random thoughts. Have you ever had this experience? Maybe you're sitting down, you're reading the Word, you're trying to pray, and then out of nowhere comes the weirdest, most random thought into your mind. And it almost stops you to think, and you go, well, hang on, where did that come from? Well, the devil just dropped a little bomb on your brain. Can he do that? Yes. Yes, he can. But you know what? You don't have to accept it. You don't have to receive it. <clears throat> Did you know that you don't have to accept a thought? You can actually return it to the sender. Don't believe everything that you think. If you haven't stumbled across this truth before, this might be the most significant thing you hear all morning. This could be liberating. Recognize that you don't have to believe everything you think. You see, we tend to think, well, I thought it, therefore it must be true. Oh, completely wrong. You think a lot of stuff that's not true. You don't have to believe everything you think. That thought might be from your old sin nature. That thought might be from the devil. That thought might just be a really bad idea. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says this, Examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. So examine that thought before you decide to receive it. Examine that thought before you decide to believe it. Examine that thought before you decide to allow it into your mind. And examine that thought before you decide to act on it. Because you don't have to believe everything you think. It's just not all true because you thought it. You know, the moment we wake up in the morning, Satan starts trying to plant seed thoughts in our minds. This isn't going to be a very good day. Nobody likes you. You might as well give up. It's not even worth trying. You're going to fail. You're ugly. It just boom, 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 boom. And if you don't wake up in the morning and meet the devil face on, then that just means you're going the same direction he is, and that's a bad thing. Thoughts from the devil are called temptations. Thoughts from God are called inspiration. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul makes an interesting statement. There was a fellow in the church who'd fallen into sin. And he'd been confronted on that, and he'd repented, and, and he came back. And now it was time for the body to forgive him and to receive him back. And Paul makes the statement, we're going to forgive this guy because we are not ignorant of Satan's schemes. Now, what was the scheme? Satan was trying to run. Well, it was the scheme of unforgiveness. When I'm unforgiving, when I'm, I'm falling literally for one of the devil's traps, and Paul knew that, and he was warning the church about that. How is it a trap? Well, in unforgiveness, Satan gets a chance to hold you in bitterness, to trap you in anger, and to trap you in resentment. And if you've not forgiven someone in your life, then you've literally, Paul would say, you've fallen for one of Satan's traps. So, Satan, or so Paul was telling the church, we're not falling for that trap. We're going to forgive that guy. We're going to let it go. 
So you have enemy number one, the flesh, that old nature. You have enemy number two, the devil. And if that's not enough, you've got a third enemy out there, and that's the world's value system. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So there you have it, sex, money, power. These are promoted as worthy life goals, things worth giving everything you have for. This is encouraged in songs, TV, celebrity life styles, you name it. And we have to do battle with all these forces. So how are you going to fight this battle? And just as importantly, at the end of the day, how are you going to win this battle? Well, Paul touch, tells us how to do that. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, he gives us the answer to that question. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. So where are these arguments, these pretensions, these thoughts that we're to take captive? They are all in our minds. It's the battle for your mind. And he also mentions there, as you do this battle, you're probably going to encounter some things he called strongholds, enemy positions in your life. Now, ultimately, what is a stronghold? A stronghold is a lie that I believe. A stronghold is a lie that I believe. That lie might be, God doesn't love me. That's a lie. That stronghold might be, I know better than God what will make me happy. That's a lie. Anything I believe that is a lie becomes a spiritual stronghold in my life. And a stronghold could be a false value system like hedonism, which says the only thing that really matters is pleasure, and that's a lie. It could be materialism that says the only thing that really matters is money and stuff, and that's a lie. A stronghold could be a personal attitude, like I could never forgive that person, or I could never forgive myself, or I'll never amount to anything. Well, those are all lies. And if we're going to learn to renew our minds to be mentally healthy, we need to learn how to demolish spiritual strongholds. And I'll let you know up front, this will take a little work. It can take some time. They weren't built in a day, and they don't usually come down in a day. But let me tell you the strategy that will dismantle a stronghold. Number one, you've got to identify it. And don't use the world's name for it. Find the biblical name for it. What exactly is that that I'm struggling with? Is it lying? Is it stealing? Is it covetousness? Is it immorality? Is it unforgiveness? Identify it. Call it out. Number two, identify the lies that you are believing in that area. The reason it is a stronghold in your life is because you have believed some lies that allowed it to become that. And you may need to pull alongside a more mature believer to kind of help you process some of this. But uncover that thing and look at it because there are lies you're believing. Identify those. Bring them out of the darkness. Bring them onto the light. Throw them on the table and look at them. What are the lies I'm believing that's allowing this to be a stronghold in my life? And number three, identify truth from God's Word that speaks directly to that area. And then just review those daily until that stronghold is dismantled. You go, well, how long is this going to take? Uh, it takes as long as it takes 
until you begin replacing those lies with God's truth. But that's how you take out a stronghold. Satan is called the father of all lies, and his desire is to enslave you with his lies. Jesus said, I am the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you take a look at that 2 Corinthians 2.5, Paul does give us two action items we need to do. One, he says, one action item is we need to learn to take every thought captive. The Greek word here literally means to conquer, to capture, to bring every thought under control. He's saying we need to screen the thoughts that we allow our minds to dwell on. On September 11, 2001, terrorists hijacked four planes in the United States, and on that day they ended up killing 2,996 people. And it created an almost immediate panic because the thought was go going through the, our nation was, how are we going to prevent this from happening again and again and again? I mean, almost 2 million people a day get on these planes. It seemed overwhelming. It seemed impossible to defend against. What are we going to do? In response to that incident, they developed a group called the TSA, and they came up with strategies for screening people who would travel on airplanes. You've probably been through a TSA checkpoint. You know the drill, don't you? 3.5 ounces, don't you dare bring four. You know the drill. They're checking. They're checking to make sure you are who you say you are. They're checking to make sure you're supposed to be there. They're checking to make sure that your intentions for boarding that plane are for travel and not for evil. Now, in the U.S., the TSA screens about 2.1 million people every day. Think about that. 2.1 million. That's a lot of people. Now, is it a perfect system? Well, no. No, no one would say that. Is it an effective system? Well, in the 18 years since 9-11, there have been no airplane hijacking incidents in the United States. So, I guess we would have to say yes. It has been effective. When Paul says to take every thought captive, he means that in essence we need to set up a little bit of a TSA checkpoint for the thoughts that want to travel through our mind. It means taking just a little time up front to examine that thought, whether it's a new thought or an old thought, and before we allow it into our minds and our life, to just check it out and ask, are they who they say they are? Are they supposed to be here? And are their intentions for good or for evil? If the TSA can actually screen 2.1 million people a day, we can screen a couple thousand little thoughts traveling through our head, especially since 95% of our thoughts are repeats from the day before. Only 5% of them are new each day. We can do this. Paul says, screen your thoughts, take them captive, check it out. And he also says, secondly, the second action item is make it obedient to Christ. That literally means to bring it into submission. I don't know about you, but my thoughts often try to disobey me. Do yours? My mind often has a mind of its own. It, it kind of rebels. Have you ever sat down and you want to pray and maybe you run a read, but your mind immediately starts to drift away or you open the Bible to kind of ponder God's truth and your mind just immediately starts to wander? In those moments, it says we're to take it captive, make the thoughts obey. It means that really we have a choice here. The remote control for your mind is in your hand, no one else's. And at the end of the day, your mind has to listen to you. And God also gave you a thing called a will to help you bring it into order. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. 
This is something we can choose to do because you have the remote control for your mind and you can select the channel it's on. Once you understand how the battle for the mind works, the next thing we really need to understand about this puzzle is we need to understand a little something about how temptation works. That'll enable us to spot and avoid traps before we get trapped in them. James explains it in 1, 14 and 15. He says, temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires, and these evil desires lead to evil actions, and then the evil actions lead to death. Temptation is a process, not an event. It's a four-stage process, and it's very predictable. It starts with desire, number one. Temptation starts with desire. No desire, no temptation. I have never been tempted to smoke a cigarette. Uh, it always hit me as kind of a dirty, smelly habit, so there's no desire within me for that. When Satan wants to try to tempt me and get me off course, he does not bait it with a cigarette. He uses other baits when he's trying to get me off track because temptation always starts with desire. And temptation often tries to turn routine desires into runaway desires so that they become more important than anything else in our life. But we need to remember that any desire out of control is always destructive. Fire on a stove can cook. Fire in your furnace can heat your home. Fire uncontrolled will burn your home down and leave you homeless. All of God's good gifts can burn your house down. Any one of them will if they get out of control. So the first thing to understand is that temptation doesn't start out there. It starts in our minds with desire. So we need to monitor our desires. We need to keep them healthy and within God's boundaries. And we need to be watching to make sure we don't allow a routine desire to go rogue and become a runaway desire. If it does, it'll take you to stage two of the temptation process, and that is doubt. The goal here is to get you to doubt two things. Number one, that God loves you, and number two, that God knows what's best for you. Do you remember the first temptation? The serpent came along and he started with this line. Well, did God really say? What was he trying to do there? He's introducing doubt. Did God really say that? I mean, did you hear it directly? Did you get a second hand? Maybe you misunderstood. Really? Introducing doubt, sowing seeds of doubt. And then as soon as he did that, look where he went next. He started saying, well, God knows if you eat of that tree, you're going to be as smart as God is. This is trying to get you to doubt that God loves you. This is trying to get you to doubt that God's boundaries are for your benefit. Every time we give in to temptation, we are believing a lie. We are thinking that we know what's best for us, and that's a lie. So temptation starts with desire and then goes to doubt, and then it goes into the third gear, which is deception. This is where it really gets dangerous. This is replacing God's truth with his lie. The serpent in the original temptation finally got to the point where he just said, Oh, you won't die. Well, that's a direct contradiction of what God said. How does he get us to directly contradict what God says? Well, you notice the, the word James used in 1.14. He said, when we are lured away by our own evil desires. Where have you heard the word lure before? That's a fishing term. You know what the secret to being a master fisherman is? You could be a great fisherman, and all you have to do, just use the right bait. That's really all there is to it. Just use the right bait. If you want to catch trout, find out what trout just love to eat. 
put some of that on your hook, drop it in a pond where trout are when they're feeding, you're going to catch a lot of trout. If you want to catch salmon, find out what salmon just love to eat. Put some of that on your hook, drop it in the stream where the salmon are, you'll catch salmon, true of all the fish. So let me ask you this question, what, can, what kind of bait does Satan use when he wants to hook you? You know, that, that stuff he can put on that hook and drop down there and almost immediately go, boom, got him, he's depressed. Boom, got him, now he's all anxious and covetous. Boom, got him, now he's all angry and out of control. What does Satan bait your hook with? You know, the, the thing about the deception stage is at the deception stage, we grossly overestimate our own strength, intelligence, and abilities because we kind of know it's wrong. We know it's sin. But somehow we're telling ourselves, I know there's a hook in there, but I think I'm smart enough to eat around the hook. <laughs> so I'm just going to enjoy that little shrimp, but uh, I think I'm smart enough not to get hooked. What's happening here? Well, without the protection of truth, we become really stupid and we fall for almost anything. Deception usually then leads to stage four, disobedience and death. Now we've moved from desire to doubt to deception to disobedience and defeat. And there's really nothing left to do here but reel that fish in, gut it, and serve it for dinner. The point is what you flirt with is what you fall for. And that is true if that is a person, if that is a second piece of chocolate cake, if that shiny new thing you want to get that you don't need and can't afford, if that's a cigarette, if that's a drink, if that's a drug, or if that's just a grumpy bad attitude, what you flirt with is what you fall for. And it says the end result is death, which is the opposite of living and life. We must remember we are free to make choices, but we are not free to select the consequences of those choices. God does that. So the principle is, is said in Scripture. It's we will reap what we sow. Knowing this, we then discover the best time to win the battle with temptation is to catch it early, to recognize that it's a trap, and don't let desires get out of control. And don't ever doubt what God has made clear. Do you remember Jesus and how he handled temptation? When Jesus was out in the desert after 40 days of fasting, he was tempted. How did he respond? Remember? He directly confronted the lies of temptation with the truth of God's word. Satan tried that three times. Jesus responded exactly the same way, three times. And then what did Satan do? He turned around and left. Now, why did he give up so easy? Because he knew he couldn't beat that. That is game over. That is slam dunk. He had nothing to beat that with, so he just left. It worked for Jesus, and it works for us too. When we encounter temptation, if we have built up our minds with truth, we can respond with truth. And when we respond with truth, Satan just has to turn around and leave because he can't beat that. He's got nothing that can take on that game. So we need to free our mind from destructive thoughts. The third thing we need to do is we need to set our mind, focus our mind on the right things. Well, what are the right things? Well, focus our mind on Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.8 says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. We're going to do that this morning with communion a little later. Hebrews 12.3, for consider him who's endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So we can set our mind to focus on Jesus. We can set our mind to focus on others. 
Philippians 2, 4 says, don't merely look out for your own personal interests. It's not saying don't look out for your personal interests. It says don't let that be the exclusive thing you do. Don't merely look out for yourself, but also look out for the interest of others. This Tuesday night, there'll be a meeting here at the church at 7 o'clock, the Foster and Respite Care Info Night. Now, why would you go to a meeting like that? Well, maybe you feel like you wouldn't feel comfortable standing up here on Sunday morning and teaching, or maybe you feel like you wouldn't feel comfortable coming up and playing on the worship team, but maybe you're really good at loving kids, and you think, I could do that, and it would be a way for you to be thinking about the needs of others. Another thing that we can choose to do, set our mind on, is to think about eternity, there's a, that there's more to life than the here and now. Our problem is that oftentimes we are very short-term thinkers. We're thinking about the here and now. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. We need to remember sometimes that we are not human beings having a temporary spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. So how's your mental health doing these days? Have you discovered the truth of Romans 12 too? that you can literally change your life by changing your mind. We've got three choices we must make each day to have a healthy mind, a renewed mind. I need to choose to feed my mind with truth. I need to choose to free my mind from destructive thoughts. Don't dare believe everything you think. Examine those thoughts. Reject what is false and embrace what is true. Take every thought captive. Make it obedient to Christ. Manage your mind. It is doable. And understand Satan's schemes and avoid the traps. And focus your mind on the right thing. Don't let it just run wild. Be intentional about the thoughts. If I'm watching TV and I don't like what's on, I just grab the remote and change the channel. And that's the end of that. And the same thing is true in our minds. You have the remote control. Change the channel. Put it on the, the channel you want. Be intentional. Feed your mind, free your mind, focus your mind. And in so doing, you can demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God in your mind. And you can take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. One of the greatest gifts that God has given you is your mind. It's also the most important battlefield of your Christian life. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask this morning that you would give us the wisdom to put into practice we have heard from your word this morning. Lord, we ask that you would renew our minds with your truth, that we might live transformed lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand.